Ooh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brent. I go by SEC Michael Twitter. And hey, we just recorded maybe the, the best interview we've ever done. Truly outstanding stuff here with my man, Dave Bar 2 CFB Matrix. This episode is just going to be the interview because it was that good. We went a little bit long here with Dave. So, hey, heading into the weekend, you guys are going to love this stuff. Tried to hit on as many SEC teams as I could with Dave. I didn't want to spend hours and hours on the line with him. But this is going to be some entertaining stuff. So let's kick it over to my buddy, Dave Bartu. Hey, we're pleased to be joined by the great Dave Bartu. Most of you know him as the CFB Matrix Dave, thank you so, so much for joining me. Oh, I've been a long, long, long time fan of yours for years and years. So this truly is a treat to talk to you about some SEC football. Oh, man, the great Dave Bartu. My my wife's about to reach through the phone and slap you if she heard that. (laughs) So, yeah, no, it it is. uh, We try to be good, right? And we try to be interesting and we try to tell stories with numbers um, and I just love talking about this, Michael. I mean, don't be a stranger. You got my number. You can give me a call anytime. In fact, if you're listening, folks, if you're listening right now, when you listen, if you got a question, because Michael and I are going to cover a couple things, we ain't going to cover everything. But I love talking to everybody. I love being open. So if you got a te- if you got an idea, a question, hit me on my text line. Give me a text. Seriously, this is my text line nine seven one two one seven eighty four nineteen. You ask me a question, you got an idea, I'll do everything I can to get back to every single one of you. Now, real quick, Dave, before we get into uh, you know these teams, can you briefly, I assume most of the audience knows your work, knows who you are, but those who don't, uh, can you just give them a brief synopsis of, of the TLC, what that is, and, and just the, the, the work you do with grading coordinators, and, and now you, my goodness, you're even grading support staff. So, you know, everything you're saying is not, it's not just some, your opinion, this is what your model is telling you. So can you explain that to the audience? Yeah, just try to give a little 10,000 foot, you know, of, of exactly what we've been doing over the last seven years. Uh, the, the, the number one thing is we tell stories with numbers. That's it, right? I mean, if, if there is enough information in the data, then I'm just reading tea leaves. I'm saying, here's, here's what the data says about this head coach. You know, we'll go into this later, but we'll, we'll say, here's what the data says about this OC, this DC, this special teams coach, this support staff, this team, you know, and whether it's recruiting or coaching, um, game performance, we're always tying numbers back into a story to try to project what's going on. Um, a lot of what people know about for me is, is just public stuff, you know, CFB matrix on Twitter and uh, a, a lot of comments here and there. But what a lot of people don't know is all the private work that we do for a handful of college football programs. Uh, we do some on field analytics, but our specialty is off field. We help teams recruit better. We help teams retain team uh, players better, reduce attrition, find more starters, uh, do better at hiring and firing coaches. You know, all of these things are, you know, handling the, the transfer portal. It's all numbers. So when you and I talk and, and folks that are going to be listening to this, I'm telling stories with numbers. That's really all it is. The only opinion is how I'm trying to interpret them, but I'm just looking at numbers that I have in front of me. Mm-hmm. And there's three teams, Dave. That's why I really wanted to have you on. That I, I basically have no feel for how these teams are going to perform next season on the field. And so I knew you were the man to go to. 
And <laughs> I want to start with Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss Rebels just coming off a 10-win season. But, you know, uh, the staff turnover, player turnover, they've, they've been raiding the transfer portal. Um, and I heard you recently on, on Bo Bounds, love his program, very high mm-hmm. on the start that Ole Miss could have next season. What, what's your model saying about uh, the Ole Miss Rebels? You know, there's a couple. I agree with you. There's a few paradoxes here, right, that we can't put our finger on. Um, but l- l- let's start with the things that I think I know about the Ole Miss, the staff, and, and what we're looking at here. So uh, when I look at all 11 headsets, I have them graded, 1 through 11, I have them graded the fourth best staff in the SEC. So we got really good coaching, right? we got a solid head coach. We have an excellent Offensive coordinator, absolutely excellent offensive coordinator. Defensive coordinator, I got a question. You know, with with Coach Crum, uh, he, he's on the positive side of our analysis, but he doesn't have a big sample size, meaning he hasn't called a lot of plays. So we don't have a good feel for him. So we got him graded down, maybe a little bit lower than where his performance could be. Special teams coach, middle of the road. Uh, defensive support staff is great at Mississippi offensive support staff is pretty poor so it's kind of weird because usually when you have an offensive head coach you have a really good offensive support staff and at Ole Miss I think they're really relying on Lane as a play caller to make everything happen defensively coach Crum has huge support one of the better support headset staffs uh, in the SEC on the defensive side of it and then when you put it all together, I think one of the things you got to look at is not all schedules are created equal. And for people that haven't looked at it yet, pull up the Ole Miss schedule. Yes, now right. it doesn't matter if it's right. It doesn't matter if it's Ole Miss or Kentucky or Mississippi State or Arkansas. The, the whoever has this first seven games, you're mm-hmm. expecting seven and zero. Right. It's it's not a cakewalk, but they're going to be favored in all of them. So the schedule is very fortuitous. Fortuitous for Ole Miss. Uh, But what I don't know exactly are a couple of the things you touched on one of them, the transfer portal. Now the work I've done with NFL franchises and trying to create good, stable front offices. One of the things that always stands out is poorly managed NFL teams are bad at the number of starters they have. They chew through starters a lot. Now, I'll give you a quick example, okay, like Green Bay. We all know, everybody thinks, oh, Green Bay has great management. Last 10 years, Green Bay has 138 different starters, okay? We all know the Jets have been crap. They have 223 different starters. That's how bad the Jets manage free agency. And I see the transfer portal as the same thing. So my concern with Ole Miss is churning through too many starters too quickly. No culture, no acclimation. Not only do you have all these new coaches coming in, you've got all these new players coming in. And I think that could create disturbances that you and I and the numbers can't forecast. So I think that's one of the first big questions that I think both of us would have is how is that portal going to positively or, in my opinion, negatively impact the overall result? And then the other thing is loss of Jeff Levy. Now, Jeff wasn't calling plays at Ole Miss, but Jeff was a really good recruiter, and Jeff was a really good quarterback coach. So now how is he going to call plays at Oklahoma? I have no idea, but Lane has lost the guy that recruited, molded, coached his quarterbacks. Matt Corral went through Levy. Lane called the plays. Doesn't have that guy now. And I think that's going to be hard 
to replace as well. So overall talent, we're looking at a top 20 recruiter. We've got excellent transfer portal numbers on the surface. We have a really good coaching staff. We've got a high ceiling defensive coordinator with limited experience, but I like the direction his career is going. But all these transfers and the loss of Levy, I think that's kind of the negative part there. But when you look at it all, I still think it adds up to eight and four kind of season. I think if the transfers are negative, now you're talking seven and five, maybe six and six, but the schedule is so good. Uh, I'm still leaning that eight and four, even nine and three if, if these transfers happen to catch properly for Ole Miss. Yeah, that's just such an interesting angle to, to take because you're right. We don't know. The transfer portal's not been around long enough you know, to have kind of data on, on where this will all go, but one program that's kind of the antithesis of Ole Miss right now is Kentucky that's the first game, mm-hmm. first conference game for Ole Miss the game's in Oxford the uh, fifth week of the season and Adam McClintock he always catches heat so do I when he comes on this show and says you know this Kentucky staff is maybe not everything it's cracked up to be what do you have to say on, on what your model says about uh, this Kentucky coaching staff oh, I, I think Adam's being nice that's what he's being. He, I think I think he's being nice. Let's let's start with the positive things with Kentucky with Stoops though. Is the recruiting arc? We cannot argue, right? That the talent level at Kentucky is remarkably better than when he first took over. This was a program that was mired in best case scenario low forty ranked classes, right? Mid forties, high forties. That's kind of their range bound. Mark has moved that up a whole level into the mid to low thirties. So the talent profile at Kentucky uh, is, is very, very good compared to where it has been. Uh, defensively, Mark's been decent at hiring defensive, defensive staff, particularly defensive coordinators. He suffered offensively. I think last year, I really don't believe it was Cohen that much because I look at the numbers and Eddie Grand, outside of scoring efficiency in the red zone, what Cohen took over was excellent. The, the efficiency numbers, the advanced metrics on the offense were very, very good. So you brought in Cohen. Now, I don't know this off the top of my head. Was the quarterback they had last year, was that his first time starting at Kentucky? It was, yeah. He was a transfer from Penn State. Oh, it might be him. I, I really, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not betting on Cohen. I don't, I don't think it was Cohen because Cohen before Kentucky wasn't any good. His numbers at Maine were middle of the road for FCS. I was shocked when Kentucky rolled out such high scoring efficiency last year. But then I looked at what he inherited, and it was really good. It's just just the the, the scoring efficiency side of it wasn't, but everything else was super solid. Um, So I wasn't really sold on Cohen. And we have Rich graded bottom three offensive coordinators in the SEC. So if Kentucky goes out there, the schedule, again, schedule's highly in their favor. This is an eight-and-four schedule coaching set aside. It's, it's very much in their favor. Um, if they go nine and three, if they go ten and two, I think it's the quarterback. You know, and, and that's what I'm looking at. I'm hearing some buzz about this guy maybe even being a first-round NFL draft pick. Uh, last year, he was solid at quarterback effect. We're talking plus two games. If Kentucky goes ten and two, I'm putting that on the quarterback. I will put that in the quarterback. I will bet on him being successful in the NFL. I will bet on him carrying the team. Not Cohen, not Rich, 
that quarterback carried it. And then obviously when he leaves, I would expect the fall to happen after that because the quarterback has elevated the program. But you know, like I said, offensive coordinator uh, got him number bottom three in the in the entire SEC. Brad White defensively solid, got a solid defensive coordinator there. So I like him. Got a new special teams coach. Don't know where that one's going to fall. So there's really no grade on on, on John. Uh, and then the offensive and defensive support staff is bottom five in the SEC. The total staff grade in the SEC, we have them 12th out of 14th. We have them 91st in the country. Uh, we got them 56th in the Power Five, uh, but it still going, should be an eight and four team because of the schedule and the recruiting. If it's less than eight and four, hundred percent blame the coaching. And if it's greater than eight and four, um, I'm still not going to give the coaching a whole lot of credit because these guys really haven't proven themselves to be that good in the past. I'm going to pin that on the quarterback, and hopefully he gets taken in the first round and has a great NFL career. Mm. Now, the other team, Dave, uh, that I'm really having a hard time putting my finger on is the LSU Tigers. Of course, uh, first year, Brian Kelly. They're another one that has kind of raided the transfer portal to to remake their roster. They, I think they only kept one assistant, if I'm not mistaken. So basically a, a complete new staff. Expectations are going to be high there in Baton Rouge, as always. Uh, what's your model saying about year one under Brian Kelly for LSU? Oh man, I, I love how you ask me how how a brand new staff is gonna gonna perform. But you know, let's look at LSU though. Okay, this is a program that in the last ten years has the second most starts in the NFL. LSU does. All right, um, LSU rating the transfer portal sounds weird because there is probably not more talent per square mile uh, closer to campus than what LSU has. The, the, the wealth of talent uh, in that area is wrong. It's amazing what they have. So why do they need to read the transfer portal? I have no idea. Um, it could just be a new staff thing, right? Is it, I'm going to get my guys in here. Remember what I said about raiding the transfer portal? You bring in too many new guys, I think it hurts the culture and the concepts and the flow of the program. So if they've been heavily dependent on the transfer portal, I'm knocking them down. I'm already talking to NFL GMs that are red flagging guys that are transferring, okay? Because, well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. If it's hard for you to play here, why are you leaving? You know, do you want to go somewhere where it's easier? Because, look, the hardest day in college is called Tuesday in the NFL. So if you're being if you're being you know whiny and it's hard where you're at and you're leaving for an easier path that ain't going to work in the NFL. So I don't like the idea that LSU or anybody is too heavy on the transfer portal. Um, now offensively, I think they're going to be good. I still have questions though. Their offensive coordinator Den Brock, uh, as you know, came from Cincinnati, and Cincinnati's scoring efficiency the last three years with Den Brock has been top ten every year. Freaking outstanding. Unbelievable. But is that Mike or is that Ritter? I'm leaning Ritter. Again, this is kind of like the Kentucky quarterback versus OC. Mike wasn't that great before Cincinnati, and I'm not sure he's going to be great after it. This is a friend of Brian Kelly, so this is a buddy hire that came back around. So I'm not a fan of that either. But the support staff, the other headsets, wide receiver coach, offensive line coach, pretty solid at LSU. So I'm, I feel really comfortable saying LSU is going to be offensive dominant this year because I got Matt House, their defensive coordinator. I have him bottom five in the SEC. And their defensive support staff 
is, let's see here, bottom bottom five in the SEC. So to me, LSU is going to have to win games by scoring. I think the def- defensively they're going to be uh, much weaker. Uh, their, off- their special teams rock solid. They're going to win a game off special teams. Uh, but I think the uh, the downside for LSU, I think they're going to really struggle defensively. The, the coaching staff is weak in that area. I think the strength is going to be offensively. But I think the biggest question of all is that offense. Is Mike Denbrock, the offensive coordinator, is he the same guy that, that was at Cincinnati? Or is it going to be the guy that was at Notre Dame before Cincinnati hired him? If it's Cincinnati guy, it can be an awesome offense. If it's a Notre Dame guy, <laughs> good luck winning with that defense and that offense. Now, the final team that, again, I got no idea how this team is going to play out, so I'm, I'm reaching out to you, Dave. The Florida Gators under Billy Napier. Uh, you know, he killed it at Louisiana. I believe he, he aced it when it comes to hiring his, his staff. Uh, what does your model tell you about year one of Billy Napier era down there in Gainesville? Um, the num- first thing is it totally agrees with your initial assessment. Killed it at Louisiana. Absolutely. Uh, he was number one on our draft board for Florida, and Strickland went out. Boom, got him. Beautiful. I loved it, right? You know, this is a guy that hired and fired well. This is a guy that changed Louisiana's recruiting arc, and the scoring efficiency year over year uh, was phenomenal. So what he did, I mean, if he can even come close to replicating what he did at Louisiana uh, at Florida, win-win. Now, the staff, totally agree with you there. Uh, the staff, we have them top three in the SEC. Uh, there's not a lot of difference between Alabama staff, uh, Arkansas staff, and Florida. Now, obviously, Alabama staff difference is Nick Saban which we'd all start. I mean, if we're starting a program, we're going to start with Nick because he's going to out recruit everybody. Uh, and Nick is usually really good about building the staff. His Achilles heel has been very poor offensive coordinator hires. He hired a bad one in a locks league, cost him a national title, hired a bad one in Bill O'Brien, cost him a national title. Um, you know, now injuries probably hurt as well, but that's been his Achilles heel there. So Florida and they're balanced. They got a really good offensive coordinator in Napier. Uh, Patrick Tony, their defensive coordinator, solid uh, middle of the middle of the pack SEC um, defensive coordinator. The defensive support staff is good. The offensive support staff is very good. So I think Florida, along the lines of LSU, is the offense is going to pick it up faster than the defense. But overall, this is a very very good staff. So. If you're going to catch, if you're going to try to get Florida, you know, your, your Kentuckys and your South Carolinas, there's a window here because you got a first year, you know, staff at Florida. You got a second year staff at Tennessee. You got a Georgia team coming off a national title. And you and I both know that coming off a national title, it's a coin flip. You know, are you going to get Alabama and Clemson refocused or are you going to get a Michigan, Florida State, Texas collapse because you got to the top and you relaxed? So I, th- I think there's a window for the Kentucky and the South Carolinas this year because of the instability, potential instability around them. Uh, Florida's schedule is tough, but with this staff, I expect things to accelerate very quickly uh, into 2023. How about week one, though? They, they open at home against Utah. You know, I try to keep it strictly SEC here, but c- could you tell me briefly uh, 
What are your what's your model say about Utah and how Florida matches up against? Uh, I know their coach Whittingham, I, I think is his name. He's he's one of the best in the in the game. Yeah, he he. I agree with you there. He's got one of the better staffs in the game too. There, there, there was a lot of similarities between Napier and Whittingham at Utah, uh, at least with the hiring firing side of it. They're both really good at putting together stats. Utah is much more defensive oriented. Florida is a little bit more offensive oriented. Um, you know, obviously stability, you're going to favor Utah, especially with so many guys coming back off the Pac-12 championship last year, but it is on the road. You know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a road game against a more talented team with an excellent coaching staff. I'm, I'm actually curious. I wonder what that line is. I wonder who's going to be favored. Uh, I, I would assume Utah would be favored just because of the stability that they've had, uh, but I'll, I would take Florida as an underdog just because – where the game is being played and the amount of talent that, that Florida has that, that, that game right there, you want to talk about one of those big week one games that may set the precedent for the rest of the season. Uh, that might be it for both teams. I, I, I'd say that's quietly a really huge game. Uh, and I'll let my personal bias show by taking Florida to win it. Mm. Now staying there in the SEC East, Tennessee year two under Josh Heupel. Uh, I know Josh Heupel is an outstanding play caller. They're bringing back mm -hmm. a quarterback in Hendon Hooker who, you know, he really started to come on late last season, played the best football he's ever played. Um, you know, I'm not sitting here saying they're going to dethrone Georgia, but does the combination of uh, Heupel and Hendon Hooker, does that make Tennessee the biggest threat to the Bulldogs in the East? Or, or what's, what's your model say about that? Yeah, you know, the biggest threat to the Bulldogs just might be themselves, like we just talked about, <laughs> right, mentally. You know, can they, can they show up now? They now the Bulldogs have lost. Uh, they, they've made they, they lost a lot of coaches. Uh, this this was a program that was top three in coaching last year, uh, and I have them number eight this year. So then I mean, they they lost Matt Luke. They got a new wide receiver coach who is a really good recruiter, but his guys on the field don't perform worth a damn. Um, so now with Tennessee, I agree with you. Uh, they can they can be a formidable threat with the combination of Heupel top three offensive coordinator in the, in the conference uh, and hooker do those last nine games were as good as anybody in college football. I even remember uh, Adam and I voted, gave him a, uh, uh, I wouldn't call it a compensatory, but like, you know, Hey, you did a good job. I think we gave him like a third or fourth place vote for the Davey O'Brien award because those nine games, uh, his per game production was phenomenal. So, uh, I, I really believe in, in Hooker if he's healthy with the combination of, of Heupel as, uh, as the OC. I still think Tennessee has a ways to go with talent uh, and defensive staff. Tim Banks is pretty good, but the defensive support staff, not a big fan of that, not a big fan of their special teams. Uh, but offensively, I think they're going to be very good. But, but, you know, dethroning Georgia, I think it comes back to Georgia's focus. They've recruited so well, so strong the last four years. Even though they lost all those guys to the NFL draft, they're still in charge of talent in the East. Uh, and I think it's more mental than anything coming into the season, whether or not somebody replaces Georgia at the top of the East or not. Mm -hmm. Now, Arkansas, they've been, you know, one of the biggest surprises in the SEC recently. I know your model loves Barry Odom. Kendall Browles, one of the best play callers in the SEC, if I'm not mistaken, according to your model. Uh, how, big mm -hmm. of a, how big of an edge does that coordinator duo give the Razorbacks uh, going into year three under Sam Pittman? Uh, 
Well, I, I think it's a big edge. That's why we're talking about them, right? I mean, if, if they don't have Odom and, and Bryles, I don't think Arkansas, I don't think the buzz about Pittman, I don't think the buzz about Arkansas, I don't think it's anywhere near uh, what, it, what it is right now. I mean, heck, you know, we, we talked about Kentucky. You know, you, you're talking with, with Arkansas, you're talking about the top OCDC combination uh, in the SEC. You put those two guys at Kentucky with that schedule, uh, you know, now you're talking about a team that maybe should be beat, you know, you're talking 10 and two, 11 and one with that kind of coaching. It's phenomenal. So, uh, but it's, but that stuff comes to an end, you know, Barry Odom is the number one graded DC that we have in the sec. Now that a couple of other guys left last year. So you figure this might be the last year for Barry before he becomes a head coach again somewhere. Uh, so Arkansas needs to ride that out, but yeah, our Arkansas closes the gap of their talent with the coaching. Um, it's just that they're in the West and there's just so much more talent there, uh, than the East. It just makes it difficult for Arkansas to get traction. I think it'll be interesting to see what Arkansas becomes when and if Odom and Bryles ever leave, but we have Arkansas graded right there with Florida and Alabama top three, uh, total staffs in the sec. And certainly it's easy for us to say that Bryles and Odom are the top OCDC pairing, uh, in the conference, if not the country. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, but I think I've heard you say this in in a different interview. Jimbo mm-hmm. Jimbo Fisher, his grade last year, if you remove first year coaches, had the worst grade among Power Five head coaches. Is that correct? Yep, yep. Yeah, last year sucked. <laughs> I mean, you know, if they if they don't if they don't beat Alabama, um, they literally he literally has the worst coach effect. Uh, in Power Five college football last year, uh, they just happened to you know they they put their eggs in a basket. They focused on it. They got Alabama done, but everybody focuses on that. Oh, they beat Alabama, yeah, but they're they're the number five recruiter in the country. They were at home. They're supposed to win that football game. Literally, they're supposed to win that football game. That's why you recruit at a top five level is to win that football game, but to also win all the other football games that they lost. You know, they, they got beat by four teams that they vastly, hugely, massively out-recruited. Um, for, so for as much as people want to say, whoa, A&M is, is looking good, I don't know what you're talking about because I thought last year as a super elite recruiter, uh, because the only teams that out-recruited A&M the last four years heading into last year were Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and I can't remember the fourth one off the top of my head, but I mean, you're talking just a tiny handful. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought last year was an absolute disaster for A&M. They lose their elite defensive coordinator. They replace it with DJ Durkin, who's good, but not Elko level. Uh, and then you have an offensive coordinator, uh, in Jimbo Fisher, that's middle of the road SEC. And we have him bottom third as a head coach in the SEC. So it'll be interesting to see if they can actually turn things around this year with that elite talent. Uh, and coaching that I don't think compares to the upper ends of the SEC. And and where do you stack up Mike Leach and his staff here at Mississippi State? That you know we all love the Pirate, and and they they'll catch a team or two every year. And I I believe his grade was pretty solid uh, heading into the final stretch of the season. Yeah, he he's solid, right? I mean, Mike Mike, I've always called Mike a walking upset. You know, the problem with Mike is it's a roller coaster with him because he'll give you two wins you know, or four wins a year that are just absolute upsets. It's like, how the heck did he do that? But then he'll give you a game where you go, how the heck did he do that? 
How'd they lose that football game? That shouldn't happen. You know, so it's, it's tough with Mike. You know, overall, he's very, very above average, right? I mean, his, his, his coach effect is solid. But I'm wondering, I'm concerned that his football genius was accelerated at Tech and at Washington State in part because the coaching and talent that surrounded Tech and Washington State wasn't nearly as good as the SEC. The coaching is a lot better now. The talent is better. So he can still pull the upsets. I just don't think he can pop the big year. And as a total staff, we have him, we have him graded in the bottom five in the SEC, uh, not even top 50 in all of college football. So I think Mike Leach and, and Will Rogers are just going to go as far as those two can take them. But from a coaching staff perspective, I don't think it's very good. And in particular, the defensive coordinator, Zach Arnett, this is his third year. He's been subpar his first two years. It hasn't gone well. It doesn't look like a good choice by Mike Leach. So I think the biggest thing looking at Mississippi State right now, we know the offense is going to be there. We know the quarterback's going to be there. That defense, if the defense doesn't turn around uh, and make a more positive impact, then I think they need to retool that entire side of the football. Mm. Well, speaking of turning things around, South Carolina on the offense, I, I believe their coordinator, Marcus Satterfield, was probably graded as one of the worst in the country. But how do you grade a guy when, when they got no quarterbacks, they got no offensive line, uh, now, now they have a quarterback? You know, what is a realistic jump, you think, for the Gamecocks on offense? Mm, none. Look, Satterfield, I mean, when he got hired, Satter, I, I said, I, you know, I called South Carolina last year the first 24s, right? Whoever gets to 24, if you can keep them under 24, they're going to win the football game. And if, if somebody scores more than 24, you're going to lose it because cause Clayton White's good. That is a good defensive coordinator. I love Clayton White. The numbers love Clayton White. I uh, love Pete Lumbo. That is a really good uh, head coach, really good special teams coach. The Marcus Satterfield – I mean, this guy is bottom 35 percentile since 2010 for all offensive coordinators. You know, he wasn't good before he got to South Carolina. He hasn't been good at South Carolina. And if South Carolina's offense is good, I'm going to give that to Spencer Rattler. I ain't giving it to Satterfield. I mean, the numbers will, will move for him. But for him to even be an average offensive coordinator in college football, it's going to take two to three years of exceptional play calling at South Carolina. I don't believe in South Carolina. I don't believe in Spencer Rattler. I will take defense. I will call South Carolina first to 24s until Rattler changes my mind, uh, not Satterfield. Hmm. Well, that may be your best uh, you know, prime example of don't hire your buddy because apparently Beamer and – and Satterfield, they, Satterfield was in his wedding group. So, uh, man, if, if, yeah, if, if if Beamer went out and hired a, gosh, any some of these other guys, um, I mean, I'm not sure who who he could have got, but Clayton White's good. That was a good hire right from the, from the get go. I think South Carolina's fortunes would be vastly different uh, if they had a good offensive coordinator in that same spot. Imagine if they had Kendall Bryles. What would their fortunes look like, do you think? Oh, I, I, with, with, with Rattler and in the East, uh, that would be fun. Mm-hmm. That, would, that would be exciting. That would be, top, uh, that would be top three offensive-defensive coordinator pairings in the SEC. 
Instead, they got a bottom four. Mm. Uh, I, I just I, I don't believe in you know Satterfield, uh, the guy at Auburn, uh, Eric, Joey at Vanderbilt. I mean those those are bottom three with a bullet. Um, you know you're talking bottom twenty percentile in all of college football right now as offensive coordinators. So that that I'm trying to get people to pay more attention to all eleven headsets. Who's really handling all of this stuff? and what kind of impact could, could they have. But, yeah, if Bryles went somewhere else besides Arkansas, I don't think we're talking about Arkansas like we do. And whoever got him, I think we could be talking completely – we're talking one or two extra wins uh, from that guy. All right, last team I want to ask you about, Dave, the Missouri Tigers exceeded expectations first year under Drinkwitz. Last year, safe to say, they, they underperformed. What's your model say about the coaching staff uh, there in Columbia, Missouri? Uh, not very high on that. You know, I mean, you look, look at the guy they hired, you know, he had one year of head coaching at app state and he took over from Scott Satterfield who ran that thing. Just, I mean, per- perfectly there. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not a big better on, on Drinkowitz right now. His overall head coach score is solid. Uh, Eli as a, uh, you know, as a offensive coordinator, four-star offensive coordinator, really good. He's actually good at hiring uh offensive staff as well this is a top four offensive support staff in the sec only behind georgia and arkansas so i think offensively really solid uh defensively really weak uh blake baker coach baker there uh one of your bottom four bottom five defensive coordinators in the sec uh and and the defensive support staff is middle of the road uh, in the SEC as well, but you, then you got to consider where does Missouri recruit, you know, and it's it's a bottom three recruiter. So you, you've got a bottom three defensive profile, bottom three recruiting profile, good offensive uh, side of the football. Without even looking at the schedule, you know, you add all those things up in your head, you're probably looking at a five to six win football team. Seven would be really exceptional. Mm. All right, well, this has just truly been outstanding, Dave. Dave Barr to CFB Matrix. I cannot thank you enough for for dropping all this, not only uh, knowledge, but entertaining knowledge. Uh, This is is outstanding. (laughs) I think the audience is going to love it. Well, uh, you know, we just, like I said, we're just telling some stories with numbers. And the most interesting thing is having these conversations and then seeing how it fleshes out. Where were we right? You know, where was it right? Which is always fun but I'm actually more interested in where we're wrong so we can try to figure out how to do things better down the road. I appreciate you having me on though, Michael. All right. So just want to say thanks again, Dave, for joining the show again. It doesn't get much better than that. So I hope you guys appreciated these four episodes this week. We're rolling on here, middle of May off season, but really for us, it ain't an off season. As long as we can keep giving you guys some entertaining sec content we're going to try to do it and like i've i've been teasing it shane and i we've got some stuff cooking it's going to be some good shows coming up just waiting for things to clear up on his end so uh the tennessee homer should be on before you know it and uh, those episodes hopefully next week are really going to be good so just want to say thanks again for everybody for for keeping the lights on and continuing to support the show even now that the summer's right around the corner athlon magazines will be out before you know it lindy's pick six previews the season ain't that far away the 100 day countdown is about to begin here in a couple weeks so so hang in there 
Keep tuning in. We'll keep you up to date on everything going around the SEC. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one.